Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is brought to you by Masters of Photography, online masterclasses with the greatest photographers in the world. We'll have a special offer for you on Masters of Photography courses later in the show. Thanks for joining us again at Photoactive. Depending on where you are in the world, it is either daylight savings time or it's not because it's going to change soon. I don't know about you, Jeff, but I hate daylight saving time. I would rather it be the same time all year round and we wouldn't have to shift twice a year. It confuses things. I used to always think that it was great because, hey, you get more time. And then this fall one comes around and you, you just get hammered in the head. So I agree. Uh, just like, no, 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 Jeff. Spring ahead, fall back. You get the extra hour in the fall. Oh, well, see, that's part of the confusion. Exactly. I always got it wrong. <laughs> the problem is it's like you're borrowing an hour in the fall and you have to pay it back in the spring with interest. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it made sense when we were all on farms, but uh, it's, it's not the case anymore. Well, I'm kind of on a farm. Actually, what I find interesting about it is as it will be darker later in the morning, when I get up and it's still dark out and foggy, I can go out with my camera and take some pictures. I shared a picture on our Facebook group last week. In a recent episode, we talked about shooting HDR, and I just went out and shot the field across from me. And it was in the morning. It was a foggy day, so it wasn't, it wasn't like really early. But I, I had discussed my idea of shooting fields and horizons and all that. And it's true that in the morning, the light is really interesting. If, if I get it at the right angle, and if there's a little bit of fog or a little bit of mist, so I'm kind of looking forward to the darkness later, so I might have more chances to do that without having to wake up too early. I guess so. You have fewer hours of sunlight during the day. And although the middle of the day isn't you know great for shooting pictures, you do have to think more about making sort of evening shots or long exposures on tripods. Uh, but you know, also going into winter, this is prime time to catch up on your photo editing and go through your shots that you've been you know making during the summer so it's sort of like that 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 photographer's cocoon of the winter grab a hot beverage look at your photos fall asleep in front of the fire Whoa, I'm almost asleep now. Chestnuts roasting and all that. <laughs> Actually, th this is also a good time to maybe consider trying some still life photography. I've been doing that off and on with flowers that I've been cutting from the garden, taking indoors, using natural light through windows and reflectors and things like that. And if you do that in the winter, you might want to try just with simple things. It could be, I don't know, a lemon and an egg or a couple of dried flowers, things like that. Put them on a table, put them in a place where you can try different types of lighting, straight lighting, lighting reflecting off a ceiling, a wall, etc. I think one of the problems we have as photographers is we shoot what's there, unless we're professional studio photographers, and we really need to learn how to use light. And using it in that sort of microcosm, that small situation where you can actually manipulate light is quite interesting. Let me ask you this question, though. When you're doing your shooting, what kind of settings are you using? Are you shooting manually or are you shooting using the camera's automatic settings? Well, I'm doing it the right way. <laughs> well, let's take the kind of thing where I've got my camera on a tripod and I'm shooting a flower outdoors, indoors, whatever, that sort of thing. I will almost definitely use manual focusing because when you're shooting something that's a macro, it's really important to get the correct focus point. However, when I'm shooting macro photography, I'll very often use a smaller aperture and a longer exposure because the smaller aperture gives you more depth of field and makes the focusing more interesting. But when I'm out and about walking around with my camera, taking pictures of whatever, 
I don't use full automatic mode, but almost. I don't have time to think about ch changing all these things manually when I'm walking around taking pictures. Hang on a second. You said you were shooting the right way, but you just said the wrong way. You said you were using some of the automatic modes instead of the manual modes. I thought you were a photographer. Aren't, are you not a photographer? I'm sorry, are you not a real photographer who shoots only manual mode using only prime lenses? <laughs> exactly. There is this meme that only people who shoot manual are real photographers. But of course, if you want to go that route, only people who shoot manual with a handheld light meter are real photographers. Or only people who shoot manual with film with a handheld light meter are real photographers. Definitely. And only people who record podcasts to tape are real podcasters. Oh, no, no, wait. I'm taking that too yeah, far. Yeah, that's a bit exaggerated. Though it would be interesting if we did have reel-to-reel -reel tape decks, but that's, that's a, a topic for another podcast. Yes, there is this division between people who think they're real photographers and who think everyone else isn't. And, and it's it's actually quite dismissive of people to say that. It's as if they're saying, well, I know how to do this and you don't, so I'm better than you. So let's clear the air right here. I have no grudge against you for doing it the wrong way. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's pleasant to hear. Longtime listeners will know that there is no right way. There is no wrong way. Of course, we're being judgmental and I can tell you that Kirk is wrong. But what's interesting, and, and this is also something we've talked about in the past, is is sort of, you know, how how you learn to be a photographer, how you came up as a photographer in terms of different uh, focusing and lenses, um, and this time in terms of just the settings that you're using. For me, I tend to shoot manual almost all the time. And it's not because I think that I am a real photographer. Actually, let me backtrack just a step. I think I gave in a little bit to that idea of, well, if you're going to be a real photographer, you have to shoot in manual settings. And so I did. And ultimately, that's been good for me because it's allowed me to, you know, better understand, you know, the relationship between aperture and shutter shutter speed and offsetting your shutter speed with the ISO level and all of that, um, and, you know, and figuring out different scenes and what, what the settings should be for that. That has made me a better photographer. But just because I solely shoot manual doesn't mean that I am better as a photographer. Right. N neither gear nor the way you shoot will affect the composition of your photos. You may take them in more or less a professional or bespoke manner, but you may still make bad photos, even with a Leica or a Hasselblad. I would actually argue that I probably make more bad photos shooting manually because there are oftentimes when I'm off, I'm I'm underexposed, or I am looking at the LCD and not paying attention to my histogram, and I realize, oh, this looks really good, and I shoot it a stop or two under because it looks good there. So there's a lot more trial and error. Take a shot, do a little bit of chimping, sorry, and look at the result and, and adjust from there rather than relying on the camera to do a lot of that for me. So ultimately, I think I am making more bad shots, but it's digital, and so I can throw them away. Arguably, shooting manual does teach you more about using the camera. It teaches you more about the relationship between what's today three elements, the shutter speed, the aperture, and the ISO. 
When I was young, we didn't get to change the ISO setting. In fact, it was called ASA, and it was on the box of the film that you put into the camera. So you only had the two elements, which were the shutter speed and the aperture. So I started shooting film, and this is how I learned how to do it. And then I bought a fancy new camera. And I thought, why am I spending all this money on a camera if I'm not going to use all the great features it has? Like autofocus, which, you know, when you think about how fast you can focus something with autofocus compared to turning that focus wheel. And I need glasses, but I can't wear glasses when I'm using a camera. And I've got the little diopter thing on the viewfinder, but sometimes it gets moved. So I can't necessarily tell if something's in focus if I have to do it by eye. Why should I have to calculate, even in the back of my mind, even instinctively, which shutter speed or which aperture I want for a particular shot. Why should I carry around a light meter? My camera has a wonderful light meter. You can use a zone focus, you can use a spot focus, and the metering adjusts accordingly. So you can meter, say, just on the face of the person you're shooting, or you can meter on the foreground or the background in a landscape, et cetera. We recently talked about HDR, where you would wanna take several photos, and you would use your metering sometimes in the foreground, sometimes in the center, sometimes in the background. The thing is that these cameras are computers with lenses. They're not just little boxes with glass and film. They're computers, and they're very powerful computers. And we need to take advantage of this. Now, I do shoot in what I would say is a semi-automatic mode. Some cameras have a fully automatic mode. It's generally called program mode. We have Fujifilm cameras that actually doesn't have a program mode, but you can set everything to automatic. So it's kind of the same thing. But when you do this, you can move... Uh, on my camera, it's set to the back dial. I don't know if that's default or, or if I set it. If you do this, this uses what's called program shift, and it will change the combination of shutter speed and aperture. So if I turn it to the left, it makes the shutter speed lower and it raises the aperture. And if I turn it to the right, it goes the other way. I, I do like to use this because I'm more interested in choosing the aperture to affect the depth of field than anything else. And I rarely shoot anything where I need an absolute fast shutter speed. Let's say you're shooting sports. In that case, you have to have shutter priority because you need to have a fast shutter speed. I think the key here is there aren't just the two extremes. There isn't shooting entirely manual and shooting entirely auto. Whenever I'm shooting anything semi-automatic, it's usually in aperture priority mode when I want that soft background, and I'm going to do that by having a low aperture and let, let the camera figure out the, the shutter speed. Or as we have talked about in terms of like doing some street shooting or something, what's important is getting a clear shot. And so you'll do shutter priority mode where you, you say, you know, I, I need this shot to be one two hundredths of the second because you know that that's gonna freeze the action. And then let the camera figure out the ISO, let it figure out the aperture because it's good at that. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit more about this. We're gonna discuss the three different elements involved in exposure and talk about how they can be set to automatic or manual or some sort of combination of the two. Masters of Photography is a unique online learning platform that brings together some of the world's most acclaimed photographers, the masters. You can enjoy an unprecedented insight into the way these photographers work during intimate lessons that capture their knowledge, ethos, and philosophy. I've taken the Masters of Photography course with Joel Myrowitz, one of my favorite photographers, and I was impressed by his passion for photography and his desire to transmit his knowledge to others. 
With more than five hours of video and 34 lessons, Joel Morowitz discusses technique, inspiration, and his career, and gives some practical tips about shooting in the street, taking portraits, and even still life photography. I strongly recommend this course with Joel Myrowitz, and Masters of Photography has a special offer for photoactive listeners. Get 5% off any course with the code photoactive. Go to mastersof.photography and enter the coupon code photoactive or use the link in our show notes. That's mastersof.photography. I really enjoyed this course, and I think you will too. Okay, so we were talking about the exposure triangle, and this is something that people will discover when they start out in photography, that there's a relationship between the three elements that will affect how much light hits the sensor of your camera. If you're using film, there's only two of them. So the first one is the ISO, formerly known as ASA. ISO is the International Standards Organization. ASA was the American Standards Association, I believe. And it's an organization of people that set standards so that your pipe fittings are all certain sizes and they can't be random sizes like 11 sixteenths of an inch or whatever. And one of the standards is determining the amount of light that equals the ISO. Does that make sense? Basically, there's a fixed amount of light for a certain ISO. ISO 100 with every camera should be the same amount of light. Now, ISO is interesting because back in the day, our ISO or ASA was something that we would get on the film and you didn't have a choice. So you would get a slower film when you were taking pictures at the beach, Kodachrome 64 or something like that. When you wanted to shoot in lower light, you'd get, say, Ektachrome 200. Or if you were doing black and white, you'd get Tri-X-Pan 400. If you were really hip, you would push process the film. So you could set your camera to say that the ASA was 1600, shoot it on the 400 film, and when you told the lab to process it, they would process it as if it was 1600. And that way you'd get a really grainy type of look, which you can get now with noise at a high ISO. So cameras have a basic ISO and you can increase that ISO. Most cameras, it's 100, 200, 250-ish is the basic. On our Fuji cameras, it's 200. And you can easily go up to 6,400 ISO or more, but you get more noise, more grain as you get to higher ISOs. The reason we want to adjust the ISO in the first place is because ISO determines the light sensitivity of the sensor, the higher the ISO, the faster shutter speeds you can, you can achieve with that, that noise trade-off. So quite often, if you're in a low-light situation or even just an active situation and you you just want to boost your shutter speed, but if you if you normally would boost the shutter speed, you would end up with a darker exposure because less light is coming in. So by twiddling your ISO, you know, increasing it to 800, 1600 on cameras today, that's really a totally acceptable range to be in, and you don't even see very much noise from it. You can increase your shutter speed and still have plenty of light filling up your image. Yeah, as Jeff said, you can get to 1600 comfortably on most recent cameras. It's kind of funny because people use filters and effects to add grain to photos. So they'll be taking this photo in in bright daylight and, you know, with 200 ISO and then they'll throw the grain on. Just turn the ISO up. I often walk around with my camera set at like 800 ISO just to be safe when I'm in shadows 
I, I don't always use automatic ISO because sometimes it just doesn't seem to work for me. And, and I, I need to figure that out with my camera the way, because there are different ISO settings and, and what happens with minimum shutter speed and things like that. You know, that's something, maybe this is a Fuji thing, or maybe this is just a thing with my particular Fuji X-T1. Uh, in episode eight, we had a great talk with Gordon Lang, and we were talking about the computers that are inside our cameras. And it's interesting that that episode, our discussion has stuck with me a lot because he advocated using auto ISO, which is something that I never even considered because my inclination is to have control over that. I want to control the noise. And you can set it so that there, so that the auto ISO only goes up to, say, 3200 or even 1600 or 800. And so after talking with Gordon, I turned on auto ISO, and I found that my camera would just go up to that peak ISO no matter what, no matter the situation. It just said, okay, well, we're going to do auto ISO, which means you want a high ISO, and then adjust the other settings based on that. And so I, I would end up with things that were blown out. That could totally be user error, could be camera error. I'm not really sure. I, I've had similar problems. I haven't quite mastered auto ISO. Yeah. In theory, it is a great thing. And it could be that on many other cameras, that's been worked out. But it, it does give you a little bit of wiggle room. So again, you're not having to either go to one extreme and say, I'm going to have only ISO 200. I'm going to have only ISO 6400. And that lets you play with your manual settings if you want, or you can play with your shutter speed while you have your, your aperture set to, to auto. So the second element that we adjust is the shutter speed, as you were just mentioning. Shutter speed's interesting because depending on your camera, you can shoot at, let's say a comfortable shutter speed is around a hundredth of a second. You don't want to go much below that. But with some cameras, you can go much below that because they have in-body image stabilization. Now, we have cameras that don't have image stabilization, but one of my Fuji lenses, the 18 to 55 millimeter zoom lens, does have image stabilization. The reason you'll find image stabilization on zoom lenses is because they're longer and they're heavier and they're harder to hold on to. So they kind of need to have that image stabilization, particularly when you're zooming far away. The slightest movement in the camera translates to a very large movement in what the lens is looking at. So shutter speed is basically, you know, if you're, if you're shooting at 200th of a second and you're not shooting sports or fast moving animals or young children, you don't have to worry about shutter speed too much. The shutter speed is actually probably the easiest var variable to deal with. Jeff, you mentioned earlier about street photography. You want maybe something a little faster because you've got people in movement and cars. But depending on the look of the photos you want, you may want a bit of blur in street photography. And I found that when someone is complaining about the fact that they have blurry photos, sometimes it's because of just camera shake. They're not holding it in a good position. But I think most of the time it's because they have set a shutter speed to something like, like 60 or even 30, which looks good on the screen, but that really accentuates any camera mo movement and you'll end up with soft images. And so... I would say just as a general rule, if your shots are coming out just a little bit blurry, like the first thing to do would be to increase your shutter speed or, you know, set it to shutter priority mode, start at 100 or 125 and work from there because that's going to give you at least some improvement on that front. And then you can work on ISO or what have you. And of course, one exception to that is obviously if you're shooting on a tripod and you're shooting something that's not moving, 
if you're shooting landscapes, it really doesn't matter that much. You might want a longer exposure to get the movement of leaves blowing in the wind or the waves moving in the sea and things like that, or going to these really long exposures. But when you're walking around with a camera, you just want a shutter speed that's going to get a picture quick enough that it's not going to show the movement that's just inherent in your movement, in your body's movement. You're bringing up a great point. Also, whether you're shooting using manual settings or auto settings really depends on the circumstances you're in. You know, landscape is, is a really good opportunity to shoot fully manual because you want to control all those elements. You want to control how much the scene is in focus by adjusting the aperture. And you have the time to do it to look at your photos and adjust accordingly. Yeah, yeah. If you're just shooting, you know, handheld or you're walking around or you're shooting family, that's a great opportunity to let the camera processor figure out a whole lot of that and either shoot either in the, the, the P mode, the full auto mode, which uh, some cameras also have, or shoot either aperture priority or shutter priority. So the third element is the aperture, and that's the little pinhole inside the lens that is either large or small, and that you can see in the logo for the Photoactive Podcast. Each stop of light, so the aperture is measured in f-stop, each stop of light is one-half the lower stop. So f8 is one-half as much light as f4. f4 is one-half as much light as f2. But what the aperture does is the smaller aperture, so the higher f-stop, gives you more depth of field. Now, when we're talking about b b b background blur, that's when you want to have the really wide open aperture, f2, f1.8, and, and whatever, because you want to focus on a, a person, a flower, an object, or whatever, and you want the rest to be all blurred in the background. But in most cases, you're shooting in order to get the majority of your frame in focus. There's a well-known press and street photographer named Ouija back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, and he had a saying, F8 and be there. And what he meant is that you could only get good photos if you were present. Set your camera to F8 so you don't have to worry about the focus as much because when you're shooting press, you don't have time. And if you're shooting street, it's the same. You don't have time to focus. So let's say you're shooting street photography and you want to have your shutter speed at least 250th of a second. You want to make sure that the aperture is, in most cases, F8, F11, something like that. And then you can adjust the ISO. You can let the ISO adjust automatically. So remember, there are, there are multiple types of automation you can use with the camera. You can let all three of these elements be automatic and you can let an individual one be automatic. So... Basically, what I'm hearing you say, as we are focusing on shutter speed and aperture and ISO, is that you agree with me, actually, that one should shoot manual most of the time. Nope. <laughs> Basically, see, so the difference between shooting manual and shooting automatic is manual is like an all or nothing, whereas automatic has many shades of gray. This is very true. All three of these can be automatic, two of them can be automatic, or just one can be automatic, whereas manual is everything automatic. So I'm right, you're wrong. Do we agree? Uh, yes, we agree. I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah, okay. I figured it would be heads, heads I win, tails you lose, one of those things. There is actually one more element that can be manual or automatic, and we'll discuss in a future episode because it is so important it needs its own episode, and that's the actual focusing. Whether you use autofocus, continuous autofocus, whether you know your focus point is small or large and tracking focus is all kinds of different focusing. And I'll point out that despite the fact that I shoot manual, I pretty much always focus automatically 
because the processor, like I'm not a masochist when I shoot. I, I want the computer to figure out focus for me, but all those things that you just mentioned, all the different types of focus, that's, that's for another discussion. Definitely. Okay, time to move on to our snapshots. Jeff, what have you got this week? I have a book this week. And as usual with a lot of photo books, I've not read the entire thing yet, but you'll see why. This is a book called The Road to Seeing by Dan Winters. And it's huge. It's a huge book. Um, I want to say... It looks to me like it's 730 pages. Well, there are no page numbers, so why... Oh, uh, 663 pages, plus plus an index. <laughs> I was pretty close. I was 10% pretty off. Pretty good. Pretty good. Dan Winters is a photographer. He sort of shot everything. There, there, There's stuff in here that are uh, celebrity shots, and he talks about like how he's set up the shots. He's done sort of slice of life. There's a whole section here. He was given access to the Lucas Archives, and he shot a lot of the like Star Wars models and some of those things for, for various assignments. It's one of those books where it's just a look into his whole photographic life, a lot of different points of interest. And, uh, you know, you can just curl up with a hot beverage and enjoy it for hours. I know why you bought it. You're a Star Wars fan. I am a little bit of a Star Wars fan. This was also actually uh, published by Peach Pit Press. And so, I'm, I'm sorry, New Writers, which was also associated with Peach Pit. And so I know the woman who designed the book. Um, it's really well designed. Yeah, you've published a number of books with them. Exactly. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Kirk, do you have something this week? I do. I have a new camera. What? Hang on a second. Do we have to have a new camera every single episode? No, this is... A, Actually, that would, that would be great. It <laughs> would, but I, I'd go broke very quickly. This is a new camera. It's called the iPhone XS Max. Oh, I've heard of that. Yes, it's it's a fancy new camera. It's quite expensive for a camera, but it does other things too. You can play games on it. Oh, well, good. I have an iPhone 8 Plus that I bought last year, and... It was the first time I had one of these big-ass smartphones, and I really like it because, again, I mentioned my eyesight's not great, so it's easier to read and all that. And I wasn't particularly attracted to the new iPhone models, but I realized that, you know, in a recent episode, we talked about the smart HDR, and I wanted to see how that worked. And I went ahead and I joined Apple's iPhone upgrade program. So I will no longer be buying iPhones, selling them on eBay, having to worry about all that hassle. I'll get the iPhone, pay for it monthly for a year, get a new one next year, move on. I've been subsumed by, you know, the Apple juggernaut. I am extremely impressed by the quality of this camera. I didn't find the 8 Plus. Most reviewers thought the 8 Plus was excellent. You know, the best camera Apple's ever shipped. But I didn't find it that great. I, I thought the dynamic range wasn't extraordinary. I thought the colors were a little bit off, often washed out. I, I think it's in part the smart HDR that makes a huge difference on this new iPhone camera. The portrait mode is a lot more detailed than it was in the iPhone 8 Plus. And admittedly, I don't shoot many portraits except for, you know, pictures of my cats. I, I've only had this since Sunday. We're recording on Tuesday. In fact, you'll be listening to this a couple of weeks after we're recorded because we record ahead of time for, you know, reasons. But I, I'm very impressed by the quality of this. And I count on trying to use this as a real camera more than I use the 8 Plus. 
I'll drop a couple of photos I took today into the show notes. One to show the HDR with some colored leaves and trees and sky, and another a portrait mode shot of a rose that came out surprisingly good. I have to say that I sort of go back and forth on on smart HDR in the sense that it does a great job. And, you know, when we uh, did our episode on, on HDR, uh, we put a link in the show notes to something I wrote for DP Review about it. But someone recently asked me, I was on the uh, Essential Apple podcast as, as a guest, and they're asking me if if you had an iPhone 10, is it worth jumping from a 10 to a 10S? And I sort of waffled a bit. I was like, you know, yes, it's definitely better, but just going from 10 to 10S it's not light years unless you really, really care about the camera. But, you know, honestly, going from something earlier than the 10, even including the 8, I, I would agree with you there, it does seem like quite a jump. It, it reminds me of when the, the iPhone 4S came out and the idea was, hey, I'm going to get this new camera, oh, that also does all the other things like you mentioned. One thing I noticed is I walked around my garden this afternoon and I took photos of the same scenes with both phones. One first, the new one, then the old one. So they're more or less exactly the same. One thing I noticed was that often the iPhone 8 Plus would use, since I had auto HDR on, it would take an HDR shot. And so I have it set to save both. And that's how you can tell that it's been doing both. But the XS Max would not. So its basic algorithm of photos is better even when it doesn't need the HDR. Does that make sense? Sort of. Did you have the smart HDR option turned on on the yes. 10S? Okay. Yeah. No, I, ha I have some where I have both photos, the original and the HDR. But in some cases with the XS Max, it only took the one. It didn't even need the HDR because the dynamic range is so much better just by default. Oh, fascinating. That's cool. So anyway, if you do need a new camera that can also make phone calls and play games and and use Twitter and stuff like that, you might want to look into this. Now, I, I believe the XS and the XS Max have exactly the same cameras. It's just a question of the screen size. And if you're used to a larger screen, then check out the Max. If not, check out the smaller one, which you have, right, Jeff? That's right. Yeah. I prefer the smaller size, but um, it's it's totally both the, the hardware in both cameras sorry the hardware in both phones is exactly the same it's hard isn't it we're talking about cameras and a lot of people buy this because of the camera and and the phone stuff is an extra oh yeah so it's easy for us to slip from phone to camera and back again thanks for listening to photoactive you can find show notes including any photos we discuss in the show at photoactive.co that's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 5% off any course at Masters of Photography with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word. Until next week, thanks again for listening.